0: How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Joining me as always is our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, I suppose the top tech story in some ways this week – is us.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's something that affects us, and and sort of the the tagline to our show, mm. really that that you read uh, at the top of the show.
0: Exactly. So, well, we are uh, available on RT uh, Radio One Extra, which is one of their digital DAB radio stations on a, on a Friday afternoon, and of course RT have been making headlines this week because you know there's, they are in trouble and they need to save a lot of money, and part of that is they have decided to drop all of their digital radio stations. I know quite a few people who'll miss RT Radio 1 Extra, which covers a lot of extra news stories and current affairs, such as our shows, uh, stuff from the BBC and public service broadcasters from around the world. Um, A lot of people are giving out about uh, RTE Gold, which is very popular.
2: It is, actually. And what I've always liked about the DAB stations is that they do plug these little niches that nobody will go near at the moment. Like, I, I tuned into a... To XM, uh, and I'm I'm picking up stuff that I wouldn't hear anywhere else, and that's that's what radio should be. It should you know it should be a learning experience. That's that's where public service broadcasting is is at its best. You know, it's it's not at the you know the the top forty end of things necessarily. It's at the you know here's something you might only have heard during the we'll say the pirate radio heydays of of the eighties or whatever, mm. which you were around for. Mm. So um, yeah, I think public service broadcasting is. An essential part of any functioning society and for any public broadcasting service to be either realigned or removed completely. I mean, that's that's a massive decision. But I think you made a very important point there in distinguishing the services, because is the back end that we're using still going to be around.
0: Yes. Now, uh, just to explain, DAB is at a very interesting juncture at the moment because the EU have mandated that every single country in the EU must have digitally enabled receivers in all cars sold from 2021. So, say from next year, DAB is going to be available in new cars sold in Ireland automatically. And there is talk that this will be branched out to cover all radios that are sold in Ireland. Because, to be honest, most of the radios that are sold in Ireland come with DAB anyway. But the problem has been was that the recession and recovering from that is that commercial radio have not really engaged with it yet. So the industry has not moved forward as a whole. And that's why DAB has not become such a success as it has in the UK. However, RTE are keeping their options open because they are dropping the services, but they are keeping the actual transmitters. I mean, they're paid for, they're installed, the antennas are working, all it's costing is a little bit of electricity to run them. And on the DAB, they will still make available RT Radio 1, 2FM, uh, RT Lyric and uh, RT Radio
2: Nogeltacht. So all the the sort of the headline FM stations, they're still going to be there. They'll be simulcast. And I'll tell you the reason is because in the UK at
0: the moment, 56% of all radio listening is done on digital radio, which means that only 44% is done on FM. Okay, and at some stage in the UK, whenever they get their act together with Brexit and uh, goodness knows, um, the commercial broadcasters over there are pushing for a analog switch off. And the reason they want it is because there is no point in broadcasting on FM and on
2: DAB. They've been doing this. Not happen in London already. It has. Am I wrong there?
0: uh in in well, it depends on what you're saying Did't this happen already? No, they haven't done a analog switch off in London or anywhere in the uk yet right when they do it, it will be an industry and a nationwide process. However, right. you are right in that London was the first market to have more people listening to digital radio than they were listening to FM.
2: Right, I I knew there was an important London connection that it hmm. it had been a lo- a laboratory for for something. Hmm. Just couldn't remember what it was. So it's it's a,
0: it's a pity in in some ways because digital does offer an awful lot of things. I mean, you said it yourself. You like listening to XM because you're hearing music you wouldn't hear anybody else anywhere else, and that is a public service. Uh, I know plenty of people who've got young toddlers and stuff like that, and they like listening to RT Junior. Which is something that keeps the kids entertained without them having looking at a darn screen all day, which is point to a lot of uh, things. So (coughs) that's another public service. Uh, I enjoy RT Radio 1 Extra because it carries an awful lot of, as I say, talk programmes and news programmes from uh, radio broadcasters around the world. So it's great to hear various viewpoints on the same news stories. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so it is good from uh, from that point of view, and the other significant advantage of DAB is that, like on FM, one FM transmitter equals one radio station. On DAB, you can get up to twenty radio stations on the same transmitter.
2: Okay, but here's here's a, a counterpoint to that, mm-hmm. right? From a regulatory perspective, mm-hmm. there are still only so many channels. Uh, licensed in ireland and and for various reasons i mean maybe it's content overlap maybe it's commercial viability so if you were to look at the capacity out there maybe a regulator might say do you know what there's only room for you know commercially speaking there's only room for three channels within this this sector why would we license 10 channels and have a load of them fail
0: I think the regulator who is the broadcasting authority of Ireland will be concerned not so much um, about the amount of diversity and the choice that is available. Um, that is their concern. Um, and that the market is sustainable and the market is able to, you know, operate as a business. You don't have people popping up one minute and then going out of business six months later. That's no good to anybody. Yeah. The main problem I think that you're referring to is the availability of FM spectrum. So for hmm. example, if you had a rock radio station in Dublin, That you knew would be popular in all the other cities in the country. It's not possible to do that because the FM frequencies are not available. Yes. And that is one of the things that DAB does. It opens up. Two national multiplexes in Ireland could carry 40 radio stations between them nationwide. Right. Right. So, I mean, if you live in Port Leash or you live in Limerick or whatever, I think it's a fantastic concept because if you press the DAB button on your radio, suddenly you've got 40 more radio stations and they're all Irish and they're all related to Ireland and they're all playing kind of, you know, the music that is relevant to Ireland or talk topics that are relevant to Ireland. It's Irish people who are on the air talking about because with Internet radio, you can listen to 10, 20, 50,000 radio stations around the world, but they're not relevant to our lives. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I've often so done a, get... a bit, of, bit hmm. of serving on a tune-in radio and I, I find it hilarious just the level of drill down you can you can get into stations.
0: Exactly, whereas when you have a choice of, say, 40 or 50 on a dedicated box in your kitchen and they're all Irish, you can handle that. It's nice. It's like Servu has got, you know, a couple of extra channels. It's like if you look at, you know, Virgin Media or uh, Sky or whoever you're getting your TV from. I mean, there's maybe 100 channels on there.
2: Mm, which, which yeah. is
0: which is a lot in itself but it's not 10,000. Can you imagine having 10,000 TV stations to try and find something on?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really. And again, there's only 10 shows worth watching. But if you were to look at the Always. example of regional mm. radio, mm. who might go, "Okay, well, FM actually serves us exactly the way we want at the moment. Mm. Why would we consider going digital?"
0: Well, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, We'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, Mm. I think it's interesting, though, that uh, RT are keeping the DAB transmitters uh, alive and active and ready for whatever happens in the future, whether uh, commercial radio come on board. And I believe uh, there is a plan for something early next year here in Ireland. And then, of course, we have what's going to happen in the UK, which is very important for Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, because with something as important as radio, where still over 80% of the population use it every day, you can't have people in Northern Ireland only having DAB and people in the Republic of Ireland only having FM.
2: Yeah, it makes no sense.
0: Exactly, exactly. So that's uh, that's one that we will watch. We are not a we broadcast our show on RT, which is fantastic, um, but we are not affiliated to, to RT and we don't express any of the. Um, Opinions of RT. These are purely our own and the way that we see it, we should uh, be strict to say. What else is going on in the news today? Uh, Twitter employees, I believe, have been doing something they shouldn't.
2: Yeah, well, who who would have thought it? Social media developers have access to data they shouldn't make it available to people they shouldn't. That's basically the story here. Mm-hmm. Two developers working for Twitter were caught Um, accessing user data and passing it along to the government of Saudi Arabia. Um, One was an American citizen, one was a Saudi citizen. Uh, The American, I gather, has been arrested. The Saudi citizen has fled the country uh, with his wife and child. Um, I'd like to say this is something that's going to run and run, but I don't think so. Uh, I think Twitter has issued a, a sort of a, oh, this really shouldn't have happened. Um and the American uh, suspect will be prosecuted to the full extent of law, and the Saudis will not hand over the um the other developer at the center of things that is that is my bold prediction
0: all right, well, we keep an eye on that story uh, and then also as we are what six weeks away from christmas um we're looking at Fitbit, Google, I believe are interested in buying Fitbit. Why would
2: Google? possibly be interested in buying that company well it's a done deal 2.1 billion uh f- for what i consider the world's most useless christmas present <laughs> i'm
0: standing up and giving you a silent uh, round of applause i had one for one christmas and uh it had to be disposed of
2: <laughs> yeah well i they're like gym memberships apparently the average gym membership lasts about five months. Yeah. That's, you know, if even five days in my experience, but anyway. (laughs) Well, that's on average, you know, that's when the will to live sort of ends. Uh, With fitness apps, uh, I I think there's an extra month on top of that. They're Mm. they're slightly adhered to, uh, you know, they're slightly better uh, from that perspective, probably because you can keep one on and just Count up your ten thousand steps during the day and go. Well, hey, am I mm. brilliant? And um, check it against a dashboard and that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's a gift that is given with the purest of intentions because they can they can start at a price point to suit yourself, and it's something you give to someone that says, "I'd like you to hang around a little bit longer." Mm. Than your habits maybe uh, uh, indicate at the moment. So, in terms of good intentions, I think they are lovely little presents. But in terms of people actually hanging on to them and using them, I think they are of limited, limited benefit.
0: Also, in the news this week, uh, Alexa, our good old friend uh, with Amazon, may be called as a witness in a murder
2: trial. I think this is a fascinating story. You you dig you dug this one up,
0: yeah, and it actually ties in uh, completely with our interview with uh, Jack uh, Weld, which we we'll play in a minute, and and that is amazing in itself. But the fact this story is broken at the same time just makes it doubly so. Uh, essentially, in uh, Florida, there was a murder man who who uh, stabbed his girlfriend, uh, but there was an echo in the house. And the police have now asked uh, Amazon, "Will they please uh, decode what that Echo heard at the time?"
2: Okay, so is this is this case done, or is it still uh, no, some no, GDK, no? This is, is only
0: kind of a, a breaking news story at the, at the moment, and I think Amazon are very, very hesitant uh, to hand anything over because if they do. Well, then that means that those devices are listening to everything that's going on all the
2: time. Something yeah. that
0: they kind of going. no, no, not at all. You just say the keyword and, and then off you go. Other than that, you're fine.
2: Yeah. And, but that's in the States. Could you imagine if that case took place in Europe? Oh, my goodness. Yes. With the GDPR and, and, the, and the whole thing. The fine they would be on the end of for for actually doing the right thing, for <laughs> passing along vital <laughs> evidence in a, a criminal trial. Hmm. It's like, yes, here you go, justice you, will be served, it'll mm. cost you a billion dollars.
0: And this is the argument that we're given all the time for, you know, this increasingly Orwellian culture where you are tracked where you go, uh, photographs, CCTV, uh, recordings of what you were saying, um, the, the, the whole thing, because if something goes wrong... Bump. There's a record of what happened. Uh, you know, it's kind of like I don't know. I'm very much on the on the privacy side of things. I don't like somebody keeping an eye on me.
2: Okay, well, there is a way around this. I mean, a prosecutor will go, okay. How cast iron is my case? Although they won't. They won't think that actually. They they will they will look for discovery of absolutely everything mm. and rightly so. Um, I was I was just spitballing there, Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I don't know. I'm very, I'm i
0: I'm 50-50 on these things at the moment because I was very against it. And then I brought these devices into my life and I kind of went, well, look, they've been listening on my phone all the time. Um, why not have them as as useful little things that can turn on and off lights and stuff like that in the house? But I am still cautious. Are you yeah. cautious as well then? Is that what you're saying? Incredibly so. Incredibly, Incredibly. so. Oh my goodness.
2: Uh, and yes, the speaker on... <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs>
0: for playing your music. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. All right. Well, listen, see, as we are speaking about uh, Alexa and murder trials and witnesses and things listening to you and stuff stuff like that, uh, let's leave the news there and get into our interview for this week.
1: This is Tech Central,
0: your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. So as we've been hearing, we are getting a lot about voice becoming natural progression of how we interact with content on the web but it faces many problems from regional accents to entirely different languages before it's going to reach the mainstream. Smartlings is one company that is trying to make the content on the web easier to access by mixing automation with human editors. Now I sat down at the company's office in Dublin to talk with co-founder Jack Weld to find out more.
2: Jack, I often find entrepreneurs come with a very interesting personal story and I think yours is grounded very much in public service. So tell me a little bit about uh, how you came to be an entrepreneur and in particular uh, what Smartlings
1: does. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, first of all, I think I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life. Uh, I had a lawn cutting business when I was about uh, 11 or 12 years old and cut a ton of lawns during the week and then, you know, the other boys on the street said, hey, we want to make money and cut lawns too and I had them cutting lawns under my business and so on. Um, I, sold golf balls, I shoveled driveways, I babysat for kids. So I feel like I've been an entrepreneur for a very, very long time. I also started my first company out of school and ended up selling that company to Apple back in the um, early to um, mid-90s timeframe. But you're right, public service has been a big part of my life. I grew up in a Family with a father who was in the U.S. Air Force, and um, and pretty much the entire time that I was growing up, and uh, we spent a lot of time moving around and living all over the all over the world, the north, the south um, of the U.S. and in Europe. And I also, at some point, went in the you know after my first company, I went into the service myself and flew airplanes for about ten years. The you know one of the the ideas that my family was focused on is you have to find some service and figure out what that might be. You could be a cop, you could be a soldier, you could be a teacher, you could work with autistic kids, but that that's an important part of your responsibility for society.
2: I suppose when we come to Smartlings then, which is uh, sort of about the development of voice as a, a primary uh, way of um, engaging with websites, you're sort of positioning yourself as a, as a facilitator a negotiator a, a translator.
1: Yeah, so I, I do think that there's a lot of interesting things happening with the user experience and the human uh experience of using voice to interact. Most of the work that we do today still tends to be more digital and less focused on voice, but more on translating web content, mobile apps, marketing materials, and so on. But that certainly is a really interesting thing happening with work that's done by Apple and Google and Amazon, so on around around uh voice. Um, and I certainly know that here in Dublin, there's a tremendous amount of work on both translation, um, machine translation, and um, voice recognition, and other systems that are um, associated uh, with that. And so, but I do think that those are important um, interfaces that um, that are clearly part of the humor, part of the future of human uh, interfaces.
2: One of the big problems that we're having with uh, the development of natural language processing and, and voice is, of course, accuracy. Um, there seem to be two schools of thought out there at the moment. One is that you, you develop that cluster effect by getting as many voices as possible in the cloud uh, and let big data or you know uh, some other high-performance computing system look after it. Uh, or you have the on-device model, which sort of prioritizes um, the user. Um, of course, the downside is being the downside being yeah, that you have one device that's particularly au fait with one person, uh, but you have one system that is au fait with perhaps millions of people, but it does come with that GDPR caveat on it. What's your position uh, as a, a cloud-based um, service provider
1: Yes, this is a great question. And, you know, we've got a ton of companies that are all part of the Fortune 500 and Global 2000 and very much care about security and their customers care about security and so on with this. And there are trade-offs When you put things into the cloud, there's the potential risk that your data might somehow be used inappropriately or could have a security problem and so on. And when you have it on device... Um, you may be limited in in the computing powered the device or the platform or the algorithms that are being used for this so there 's always a trade off on this. I think what we find though around translation and particularly translating digital content is that more often than not it 's something that 's even less high tech than putting it into a cloud based machine learning platform and so on it 's things like context it 's things like you know somebody who 's trying to translate. Uh, word or phrase, and just to use sort of a trivial example of this, if I were to ask you to translate, you know, I went into a bank, you might say, well, I guess you went into a bank to use an ATM and get some cash, but it depends on the context. If I was talking about a, a flying article, maybe I've turned my airplane. If I was a, a sailor, maybe I'm having a really bad day, right? So all of this context matters, and more so, I think, than the compute power of trying to find you know the, find tons of data and tons of voices to try to drive this. Oftentimes, really understanding how this content is going to appear inside of a mobile app, inside of a website, inside of marketing materials can lead to much better translation. And that's those are the things that we focus on.
2: And that's where the human element uh, remains paramount as well.
1: Definitely. So you know, a big part of what we do as a company is we help companies to connect with other people around the world and. At some level, this is the most basic form of personalization. You have a high-quality product or service, and you're trying to sell it to me. It's important that you communicate to me in the language that I prefer. I don't speak Chinese. If I was the best product in the world, I wouldn't have any idea what it meant if I went to a Chinese website. And so if this really is about humanity, it's about connecting people and making sure that your high-quality product or service can get in the hands of people, and it's important to make that happen... You know, Right now, the most important content is still translated by human beings. Now, they may use machines to help them. They may use a machine translation to get them started. They may use a computer-based uh, uh, translation tool to help them with that process. But the most mission-critical or content that's designed for connecting with humans and emotional appeal around marketing content is still translated by humans today
2: when you're looking at growing your own operation in terms of bringing in human editors, what kind of language skills do you find are are particularly difficult to fill at the moment?
1: Well, I think a big part of it is the expertise in a particular product or service. And so if you were translating really technical legal content, pharmaceutical content, uh, aerospace content, uh, something along those lines, then you may have a more difficult time understanding what that content is, no matter what your language skills are. Now, there are ways to combat this. In fact, um, many of the translators that we work with who are focused on those types of verticals, they spent a lot of their career actually working in those fields before they became translators. They happened to be bilingual or trilingual, and they were able to work on that Uh, translation and language skill process after they learn those different parts of it. But any type of specialty content like that is going to naturally be very challenging. Now, more generalized content, marketing content, training materials, and so on, a big part of the way that we help with that complexity is understanding the customer's style, how they communicate. You can imagine that a B2C company with a software platform for teens is going to be very different than a legal uh, law firm and how they communicate from a style perspective, but also really understanding their key terminology. Every single business has a glossary or a term base of their most important words and phrases that describe themselves. And usually it's not five words, it's 500 words and phrases to be able to do that. And so one of the things that we do is we use a machine learning, artificial intelligence approach to extracting all of that content out of their rich corpus of content that they're translating and be able to say, hey, we think these are the 500 most important words and phrases. Let's get agreement on how they should be translated into French or German or Japanese or whatever the languages are, and then help the translator to gently enforce to make sure that those terms are being translated consistently from there.
2: So do you find that then keeping translators uh, up to speed on their, their own technical fields then is as important as the language skills themselves?
1: Absolutely. I mean if you're going to be a translator, number one, it means that you are using your language on a continuous basis. In fact, when we work with a French translator, typically he or she lives in France, maybe in Paris. If we're working with, you know, a Spanish translator, he or she might live in Argentina because you wanna be you wanna be living in the language. You wanna understand language is so malleable, it changes constantly. You want to be in a position where you're using that language every single day. But it's also really important to continue that education process in whatever that field may may be, whether it's travel and hospitality or whether it's something like pharmaceutical or aerospace. It's really important to continue that. And we see this in other fields. We see it with continuing legal education for lawyers. We see it in training that, that uh, continues for doctors and so on. Same thing happens with translators.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the fields of law are fields with a, a massive uh and constantly evolving uh, field of knowledge would be particularly vulnerable to this sort of problem, where you basically have precedents set every day. Um, you know, patents might be one thing, uh, very technical, but when you have something that's sort of artistically based and open to interpretation on on two levels, I suppose that's a, that's a serious problem.
1: Definitely. And, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about transcription or something where somebody is, you know, like you might transcribe this podcast after it's done, for example, and you could either use a machine or use humans and you might have different levels of quality on it. But there is an empirical, probably right answer for what we're communicating. Now, maybe it has a little trouble with the fact that we might talk over each other or whatever, but there is an empirical right transla- transcription for this, whereas there's not. For translation people have different opinions about what the right term or phrase the right words the right you know way to say something for it and so that just adds to the sort of the nuance and the complexity and the things that are interesting about translation but for sure the end consumer should have a feeling that this was written for them in their native language and not feel like it was a translated byproduct that maybe isn't quite as good as the original
2: uh, of course, you're in Dublin at the moment to mark the uh, uh, the growth of your own office here in Ireland. Um, previously, we've heard the argument that Ireland and, and very often Dublin in particular uh, is this sort of nexus of language, economic opportunity, and geographical opportunity. Does that sort of perfect storm still hold, or are we looking for a different set of skills? Or you know, is it are the things that made companies? Uh, interested in Ireland, still the same.
1: So we've had a presence here as a company in Dublin for many, many years. And today we're, I'm, I'm actually here for the ribbon cutting on our new office, which we've just recently opened. I'm, we're sitting in it right now, and I think it's turned out to be terrific. And I have a feeling that a year from now we'll be doing a new office because we're growing very, very fast in, in Dublin. So we've had a long history of working with, um, with a presence in Dublin. And yes, there are important reasons for it. It's a quick airplane trip to pretty much anywhere in Europe. Um, We have a common language of English, certainly favorable tax codes and all the other things that go with it. But I've also just found that this is a a city that's growing. I mean, you can see just from the number of cranes and construction that are around here that the city is growing very rapidly. It's a very tech-focused town. There are universities that are doing incredible research here, and the people have just been lovely and delightful, and I've really enjoyed working with with our Irish employees.
2: I think the point on the availability and uh, closeness of universities is really important when it comes to the to the tech sector. Um, do you do you feel it's it's so important to have the ability to basically go down to Trinity around the corner and say, look, we've, we're we're working on a problem. We think you guys can help.
1: Uh, we've done that. We've actually done that. So we've worked with teams over at Trinity, over at DCU, um, and a few other places uh, where we are trying to solve a very particular technical problem. Usually it's some sort of... Of intelligence to help to manipulate content in a particular way or to do some sort of computational linguistic approach to help with something that is a really thorny problem for humans to do. Something that may, like when I was describing terminology before, like that's a really thorny, challenging problem that takes time for humans to go through and figure out. What are the most 500 500 most important words and phrases that define my organization? Whereas give me 20 pages of representative content and we can push a button at the computer pull that out pretty quickly. These are the types of things that we've done. Having a university nearby or a few different universities and people who are very focused on language and specialize in that has been terrific.
0: And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Jack Weld from Smartlings. That's practically it for our show this week. Do remember, you can get the lowdown on all the stories we talked about and the interview and all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more at our website TechCentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us uh, online or Fridays for the time being on DAB digital radio with RTE Radio One Extra. Until next time, from myself to studios and from Niall Kitson. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. So-